And welcome to Two Steps Ahead Podcast. Two Steps Ahead Podcast, highlighting the stuff we've stepped in so you don't have to. I'm Son Edom, alongside somebody who is bored in the house. <laughs> She's in the house bored, Tara Hokeshiro. And uh, were you able to um, occupy yourself or come up with something to keep yourself from being bored in the house? I did. Hey, guys, welcome back. I did. What do you have for I us today? I did. I actually have... A song for you. Song? Okay. So I've been asking her to do karaoke for a couple of shows now. And all she talks about is the Midnight Toker. (laughs) And so uh, is it the Midnight Toker? Are you singing the Midnight Toker? No. 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 You have something new for us. It is brand new. Brand new. Hot off the vinyl presses. Hot off the karaoke press. What do you have for us? Want to talk about me, want to talk about I, want to talk about number one, oh me, oh my, what I think, what I like, what I want, what I know, what I see. I like talking about you, 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 usually, but occasionally, I want to talk about me. Toby Keith, very good. <laughs> I like it. What uh, What made you decide oh, that song? Yeah, Toby Caller. Yes. What made you decide that song, besides it being a good song? Was there anything... I, you know, remember a couple of podcasts ago when you were talking about your siblings, right? Right. And mm-hmm. you're like, Ugh, I just need like a therapy session. Right. Like today's show is going to be all about me. Ooh, <laughs> we're having therapy today. <laughs> it's therapy session. Therapy session today. Tara needs some serious therapy today. All right. Before we get into that, uh, just about Toby Keith. <laughs> I did go see him when he came to uh, Ontario, California back in September. Okay. And um, he has a song, Red Solo Cup. Yes. I like that song. I like Red Solo Cups. Red Solo Cup. <laughs> but, um, but no, he was actually, see, I'm not really a fan of country music concerts because they're a little boring. Mm-hmm. I grew up in the you know, 80s rock era with the, the, the arena, the anthems, the, the pyrotechnics, mm-hmm. you know, the, the lights and all that stuff, the smoke. And so I took my mother a few years ago to see Alan Jackson. She's a big Alan Jackson fan. Alan, call my mom. Awesome. Um, and it was good. I like the music, so I don't. So I enjoy the concerts, but they're a little slow. Okay, no wait. I have to ask you: Is that the only country concert that you've been to? No, I've been Alan to Jackson. A, no, I've been to Alan Jackson. I've been to Toby Keith. Um, I was going to go to George Strait, but I my I found out my dad that's his uh, favorite artist, so mm-hmm. I sent him and my mom. Mm-hmm. Um, because Alan Jackson is, while he has great music. Um, and he puts on a good concert as far as his music. It is a little on the sleepy side. Yeah, he sat on a stool. Yeah, yeah, which as a musician, he's great. But as a performer with all of the theatrics, that's not his style. There are, like, Keith Urban is an amazing performer. Um, we go to Paso Robles every year to okay. the fair. Right. We've seen tons and tons of country um, performers there at the fair, and they're all highly – Alan Jackson's been there a few times too um, – yeah, there's there are other country artists. You happen to pick the one who is yes. the, the sleepiest, <laughs> the slowest, the sleepiest of all. And he was throwing out T-shirts, and it was like a lackluster underhand toss yeah, to the yeah. front row. I'm like, come on, dude, give us some. Now, if give you us go some to love. you know Garth Brooks or Keith yes. Urban or I heard Garth or, Brooks shows were really good. They yeah, we've seen him a couple times. I never went because when he came to L.A., I was in I was just moving to the Midwest, starting my radio career. And then I was never in an area to see him. In fact, he might have been retired during that time when I was in the Midwest. Now he's starting to make a little bit of a comeback. I think he recently did a TV special. Now that we're all into quarantine, he did a TV special mm-hmm. with his wife, mm-hmm. Trisha Yearwood. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, yeah, but those are the two 
off the top of my head, those are the two that I can think of that I've been to that are the more prominent ones. Right. Even, even um, the Road Less Traveled girl, I forget her name, she opened. Even the opening acts mm-hmm. are kind of snooze fests when it comes to uh, <laughs> the show. And see, the Road Less Traveled, that's Elena. Yes, um, her. Lauren Elena. Yes. She is an amazing artist. Yeah, she was, uh, yeah. she's good, but again, concert was kind of a snooze fest. But see, if you've been to, for example, in most recently, a couple of weeks ago, I went to a Skillet concert which is a Christian rock band, and it is high energy, high impact for 90 plus minutes. And so when you there compare you the go. two yeah. with the lights and you know the, the high energy yes. and the uh, uh, smoke and all that stuff. <laughs> so you, you need all the theatrics. Yeah, it's kind of like, <laughs> like this. It's kind of like when I was growing up, we went to a Dodger game living in Los Angeles, and our in-game entertainment was the beach ball. You would wait for yes. the beach ball yes. and then you, the, the blow up beach ball that everyone would bounce around. That was our in-game entertainment. We didn't have the big jumbotrons and the on-screen entertainment and the kiss cams and the dance cams and the flexor muscle cams. And if you go to Staples Center in Los Angeles or any other big arena, I'm sure it's the same. You've got, you know, all the lights and the smokes and the lasers and the music. You know, so the in-game entertainment is like a hundredfold right. compared to. And so that's what I think when you compare the concert going experience that I've had, mm-hmm. country music is more like a Dodger, Dodger game in the 80s. Whereas <laughs> you've got rock concerts and others that are more like Staples Center now. They've come a long way. Honestly. In show there entertainment. Are, yeah, there are a lot of country artists that have come a long way that are huge entertainers. And then they get flack for it because they think that they're going away from the original well, a lot of them were like Intent, T- Taylor Swift music, started out as yeah. Uh, country, yeah, and now she has a banner up at Staples Center for the most consecutive sellout shows, right? Um, and then others like Keith Urban, you mentioned, he's gone kind of back and forth, but uh, he was more country and now more pop, a little kind bit, of. kind he's, of, kind yeah, of, kind of, kind of fluctuate yeah. the line, yeah. And I think that line's been blurred between country and pop, yes. But now that we've completely alienated our audience. <laughs> outside of the country music loving fans. <laughs> want to talk about me? Want to talk about I? Want to talk about number five. <laughs> so we've been under sequestered like everybody. And I've actually kind of toned down my uh, going out only because I've been everywhere yes. and everything's closed. So there's not a whole lot you can do these days. Yes. But I've been working on, on things. There's some good things coming for a Two Steps Ahead podcast. And um, we got some announcements that we're going to make, but some good things are coming. But... Um, But so what has been going on? Because I get this uh, sense that, okay, to set the table. So there's a lot of people that have been in house arrest, so to speak, Mm -hmm. because of what's going on with the virus. And I like to get out and at least do a walk every day Mm -hmm. in the neighborhood. Yeah, me too. At least about an hour walk. So nothing to do. I've got no deadlines. I'm not working. I've got absolutely nothing to do except to fill time. So I'm going to go for a walk. And so I've recently moved into a new area, so I want to experience the new area. So I'm checking out some things on the walk. And let's take a week, a week time, a week span. So Monday, I'm walking, and there's nobody. Ghost town. By the time Friday rolls around, and this is just a week ago from the taping, a week ago, Monday, nobody. Ghost town. Friday, there's more people out. Mm-hmm. And then you move into the first part of the next week, which is the the current week we're in, mm-hmm. more and more people are out on bikes, roller skating-ish. I guess there's one person on a roller skate. Um, and so more and more people are getting out. And so I'm thinking that people are starting to go stir crazy because I think we're in, at the time of this taping, 
16 days, 17 days of the national quarantine. Mm -hmm. And so people are starting to go nuts and people are starting to go crazy on social media. You've got people singing from the balcony. You've got (laughs) all kinds of challenges going on on social media. So people are really trying some creative, some not so much, but trying to, you know, handle this. And I think the two things that are, or three things that are coming from it is obesity because everybody's eating their quarantine snacks yes because you see the yoda memes and it's Mm -hmm. snacky snackies are getting eaten (laughs) on the first night when it's supposed to last two weeks i I did read from legitimate sources that alcohol purchases and consumption i'm guilty are on the rise Mm -hmm. pornography's on the rise i didn't read that but yeah yes (laughs) i did i did did see someone post a meme that said you'll see me on pornhub before you see me on tiktok Yeah. yeah so i guess that's true and then um and then mental health Mm Because people are now, you know, pinned in. And it reminds me of something that people, a lot of people might not know. I'm going to make a reference to is Anne Frank Mm -hmm. and the, and the Jews that were hidden back during World War II. If you can imagine what you're going through now with social media, with the internet, with endless amounts of TV that you can watch, because I hear like the price is right. And some of those game shows have like the highest ratings they've had in years. Mm -hmm. But imagine going through this without the social media, without the internet without television and with the threat that if you get caught, you're going to probably die in a concentration camp somewhere. Mm -hmm. I mean, that just blows my mind when I think of that. Yeah. So we take it and we're kind of going crazy, but we have some outlets. We can still get out and walk. We can still have the internet and television and all this stuff, but it's still going crazy time, Mm -hmm. which leads us to talking about you. Wow. (laughs) So what has been going on in your, cause I'm actually okay. I'm actually okay with all this because I've got plenty of stuff to keep me entertained and I'm not going to stir crazy, but, uh, but for example, people out there that are suffering and are struggling, we'd like to talk about the stuff we've stepped in. So you don't have to, Mm -hmm. what have you stepped in? Mm -hmm. So we were going to talk about patience today and I have not been patient this last couple of weeks, my patience level is right. My impatience level, I would say, is rising and rising and rising and rising. Yeah. So I'm, I, yeah, so I'm struggling. So to set the context, our business, we're still kind of sort of working because we're on the essential list. So I have been home this week, but not, um, I will, I will be going back, you know, into the office here and there eventually. Um, so it's not so much the house quarantine, but I think in, in times of, of stress like this, you know, we're not used to it. Like you mentioned the, and you know, Frank, like we, we don't even have a concept of, of serious struggle. A lot of us in this country, some of us do, but not all of us. And it's different types, but, but you know, the type of struggle, you know, that Anne Frank went through that she's in this very small room, can't see the sunlight, you know, has no outside communication for a couple of years. Um, we don't understand that we haven't been in that. And so we're going crazy a little bit, trying to adjust to not moving around the way that we want to. Um, and it brings out in us any type of change, any type of stress brings out in us, whatever was simmering beneath the surface that we could keep at bay normally because we could go to work, we could go to the store, everything was normal. Now all of the character defects, all of the stuff that we um, deal with is coming to the surface because there's not all this other noise is quieting down. So it's, we can't, um, it's more visible. 
now and it's more like on the surface. And so, um, and people are stressed out because, you know, we either don't have an income or we have employees that that are not going to have an income. And do we work? Do we not work? Do we, can we pay the rent? Can we not? What do we do? Like there's all these extra stresses going on right now besides being, you know, not able to go anywhere that causes again, whatever is in us, um, to come out. And, I am having a hard time dealing with other people. (laughs) No, so I know that's going to sound. Well, let's set the stage. In case you missed it, you can go back and check a previous podcast. I believe it was either one or two episodes ago. We were talking about how you don't like to mingle. You're an introvert. You've talked about you being an introvert. Right. So you already have a presupposition of being by yourself, wanting to be by yourself. And wanting mm-hmm. to be more to you. Mm-hmm. And so the whole idea of mingling at a conference and things like that are no good for you because mm-hmm. you just want to get away. And you went on a trip, I believe it was, to Africa and you couldn't get away and it drove you crazy. So you already <laughs> have told the stories about you and wanting to have your alone time, your me mm-hmm. time, and mm-hmm. dealing with other people is a challenge to begin with. So now you've mentioned taking away the noise mm-hmm. and now you're dealing with people without this other noise because of what you just said. And so is that amplified Yeah. So, so I mean, I, there's obviously a lot of places now to, you know, to get away and to be rejuvenated, you know, by quiet time and and to have our alone time or whatever. Um, but I think it's like, like people, um, and I, I I don't want to, (laughs) I don't want to name names because I want to protect the guilty, right? Protect the innocent. Um, so there (laughs) it's him. (laughs) So there's there are people around me that are not handling this situation very well right so there's been a lot of neglect with um with their own emotions like they're not able to name their emotions they're not so they do a lot of blaming or they do a lot of changing their mind or they'll you know talk out of they'll make a decision and then the next day when the consequence consequences come then instead of saying oops i made a bad decision it's the other person's, you know, fault. And so I'm, and people are, as they get stressed out, um, sometimes people get meaner, like they just don't know how to handle the stress and they don't know how to handle all of the unknowns. Like, what if this happens? What if that happens? And how do we plan? And there's all this like feelings of lack of control right now. There's all these numbers, all these people could die. All these people could get sick. Um, there's not enough ventilators and some people, um, handle the, the what ifs and the unknowns in a way that that just causes them to panic and causes them to, so like the bitterness that they already had comes out. Um, the unforgiveness that they already had comes out the fear that they already carry the shame that they already carry. All of this stuff comes out in a stressful situation. And I am, am having a hard time dealing with that and being patient, um, with people that, um, are handling this in a way that just making it worse. It's just making an already chaotic situation more, more chaotic. And I find myself getting irritated. Like, um, you know, why can't you just fix that part of your personality? Why can't you get rid of your bitterness? Why can't you actively go through the forgiveness process and the stubbornness of, of not wanting to do that? Um, causes me to say, okay, so I have to set boundaries against this person, but I don't, or people I don't want to, but then if I don't set boundaries then I'm a part of the craziness, but then if I do set boundaries, then I'm not as close to this person as I want to be. And so there's this line of like, 
How do we stay safe against people? How do we, how do we be in community with people who have their own stuff going on and that I need to be patient with their like legitimate things, you know, that are going on? How do I be patient within that when they react in a way that is volatile and defensive and blaming and, and chaotic to the point that sometimes we can't even have a conversation without getting into an argument. And so that's an indication to me, like, so that I've been questioning myself all week. I'm like, okay, how do I handle, how do I be patient? How do I love this person? How do I be kind? How do I, it's just, and there'd been times like, oh my gosh, I just want to flip everybody off and go run. <laughs> like, ah, <laughs> I can't, I can't take, and then you go to the store and people are stressed out at the store and, and you, you know, it's like, you know, people were glaring. Like if you go for a walk, sometimes I just, I'm, I'm agitated, I guess, with other people's reactions to the situation. And so that's always been the most difficult thing for me is other people's reaction. Take anything and I can handle it. Okay. Cause I can roll with the, the tide, so to speak, not the Alabama crimson tide, <laughs> but just go with the flow. And it's the reaction of other people that, that compounds the issue. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about earthquakes in the past on past episodes and, and how people's reactions or even in this current state that we're in people's reaction of hoarding things like toilet paper and other products. It's like that, it, that, that reaction compounds the problem for the rest of us that tend to be a little bit more sane when it comes to being able to handle these things and cope with these things. So it makes it much more difficult. And especially for someone like you, that is more, like for me I can things can roll off my back Mm -hmm. and I can just let it go for example you mentioned stores we go to the stores and the checkers are taking way longer to check people out (laughs) and so you have to sit in line at the store a lot longer and now you're six feet away from people Mm -hmm. and then you have people complaining and bitching because you're not six feet away because yeah. your toes are across the <laughs> six foot line. Right. And then the checkers are taken forever. The self checkouts lanes are closed because they don't want you to hoard stuff. They want to monitor what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it becomes a little bit more difficult when people, cause me, I can stand in line, wait, cause I understand the situation. But yet when you've got someone yelling at me because my toes are six inches over the blue line. Okay. We're going to have a problem. <laughs> Just back off and do your thing. <laughs> And then when you've got other things going on because people are afraid they're going to get sick just because they're in the store with you, like six feet really is going to matter. I mean, come on. You're picking up stuff that other people are touching. Um, that makes it more difficult. So I can understand for someone like you, it'd be compounding that issue because you're dealing with work situation. Mm-hmm. You're dealing with things that um, affect other people's lives because mm-hmm. their livelihood. So they come to the job and what they have going on at work is always difficult. Uh, but then they bring their home stuff to work. And mm-hmm. so you have the work dynamic and the home dynamic, mm-hmm. and they said all mixing. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the, the, the quietness of the rest of the world that we were all be involved in, whether it be going out and doing school events or sporting events or concerts or fun things, all that's gone. And now we're focusing on is the problems, mm-hmm. the problems. And that's where I think the patience comes from. And, but like you said, it's hard because in your case, you're dealing with as best you can, and yet you're still running out of patience. Yeah. And I know the concepts, like I, I study this stuff, you know, if you have followed me very much at all on my Instagram, it's full of study. <laughs> it's, I mean, I did a whole year of videos like on, on all these character traits, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. So I, it's, I study it, but then, but putting it into application is a whole different ball game. And that's what I aim to do is to 
apply it. I don't want to be a person who doesn't walk the walk, um, but I am struggling. And so my patience level, because there's different kinds of patience, right? There's that immediate gratification. And then there's that um, patience where we have to allow people to be who they are and to go through what they're going through. And in both of those situations, we have to say to ourselves, I'm going to be okay. And so that's what I keep like telling myself. It's like, um, I am okay regardless of how this person behaves. If this person, I've said this multiple times on multiple podcasts. If someone wants to be crazy, they can do that. That's their choice. Like I'm not, we can't go around controlling people, right? We can't change people. So if you, you know, want to be crazy, that's fine. Just as long as you stay on your side of the fence. But as soon as I bring that craziness onto my side of the fence, now it's my problem. Or now if I, if I have invited that now it's partly my fault. So that's, you know, kind of like the the thing. It's like whether it's immediate gratification where we say, I have to have this or I'm not going to be okay. I have to have it right now. I don't want to wait. I'm very, you know, agitated if I have to stand here. That's more about um, me putting myself above, you know, other people or putting my emotions above what I think I should be doing, you know, for myself. Um, if I'm like, if I don't get that immediate gratification, if I can't have this right now, then my insides are just not okay. Right. So that's one part of it. But then the patience with the other people is a whole different ballgame because they involve us. Right. So if they ask a question, if they ask for an opinion, if they ask for, you know, anything, now I have to engage with that person. And now I have to exhibit like the form of patience that I'm still going to be okay. If we get into an argument, you know, I have to talk to that person to keep the boundary line so that I'm safe and I don't take in what they're saying. But then I also have to respond in a way that's kind and loving and patient so as not to harm them. That is such a difficult dance. Such a, I mean, it's like mental gymnastics to, because you kind of have to be outside of yourself. You have to be at the 10,000 foot level and, and in the street level conversation at the same time, which kind of is the way my brain works anyway. But You've got to be aware of what you're doing and what the goal is while you're doing it. And then you kind of have to play chess in your head. Like, okay, they just said something that contradicted themselves. Like it's yesterday they said this and now today they're saying this. And if you call them out on it, they're going to get mad. But if you don't call them out on it, then you're part of the chaos. So it's a very delicate balance, like going back and forth. And so I'm, I'm finding myself less and less patient in those situations because I feel like my gosh can we just solve this problem already like can we just deal with the bitterness or can we just deal with the forgiveness already like some people just don't want to do that and so then there's this constant I feel like I'm having to do um, mental gymnastics and so you know yeah that's kind of where my frustration is (laughs) stay on your side of crazy people stay on your side of crazy Um, you talk about in the past character and we've talked about character as defined as what we are in the face of what is presented to us. For example, in the movie wall street at the end, one of the characters tells Charlie Sheen's character, you know, a man, you can define a man by his, his, you know, you can see your man's character. You can see your character when you're staring into the abyss and nothing is staring back at you, which Mm -hmm. means you've reached rock bottom. Mm -hmm. So you're going through these issues at work and, through this whole quarantine and the virus and all the stuff that's going on with all this staring at you, what have you discovered? If anything new about your character? 
Well, that's a good question. And that's exactly the question that, um, we need to ask. Um, and I've been asking myself that it's like, okay, this, you know, the world is this way. The world is in chaos. This, um, person of this group of people is this way. What does that say about me? So I guess that I am not, um, being, I'm putting, I get, I, I'm saying I'm putting myself ahead. My agitation, like I don't have, I don't want that person to be acting that way because it makes me agitated and I don't want to be agitated. So rather than taking responsibility for my agitation, I just want that person to stop doing what they're doing. So um, that is not, that's enabling, that's codependent. Like it, Like if I'm telling you to behave in a certain way so that I can feel okay, that's codependent. And we, yeah. So what would you like to see differently in yourself from where you're acting or not saying you're acting bad, but just how you see yourself responding to the crisis that you're in versus how you'd really want yourself to act or respond? Yeah, I think ideally, um, before I go into the situation, when I know I'm going to have to interact with um, certain people, rather than saying to myself, oh gosh, I just don't want to go. I don't want to deal with this person. I don't want this to, um, I don't feel like, you know, doing this today instead. Okay. What does this person need? What do they want? What is it that they're after? What are they reacting to or what are they reacting from? And if I can have empathy for that part of them that, because people don't act that way, like they're not mean, they're not doing it on purpose. So if I can kind of um, look at d- below the surface and say, okay, there's fear going on here. There's um, a lot of confusion going on and, you know, trying to make the right decisions. If I can zero in on where some of this craziness is coming from and just, and have empathy for that, say, yeah, I get it. I mean, this is a hard, so even though they're not taking responsibility for the way that they're feeling, but if I can, in my mind go to that place and have empathy for a while. They must be, they must feel beat up. They must feel betrayed or there's a lot of, um, there's some rejection or there's some fear going on or whatever. If I can get to get myself to those places and see them as human and see their needs as valid as my needs, then I'm much more likely to deal with them in a compassionate way in a loving and patient way. And I am going to open the door. I don't know if you guys can hear it or not, but my dog, she's 16 years old, a little bit senile. She wants to come in. The door's closed. She's the mascot. She is the mascot. You didn't, she was here last week on the floor. You didn't see her. So you keep talking. I'm just going to open the door and let her in. So she'll stop barking. (laughs) I've got a, I've got a story. So there was a story, I believe it was in Chuck Swindoll's book, but there's a story of a fourth grade teacher who had a student and the student was, I don't want to say less than desirable, but it was a student that was come to class and come to school unbathed, not really dressed good, you know, um, ratty clothes. And so she wasn't motivated to teach this student. And so one day it was the teacher's birthday. And so everybody was bringing gifts for this, for the teacher. And she's opening up the gifts and she's getting these nice gifts. And then she gets the, the present from the student, the, the unclean, the dirty student, you know, and she opens up a half bottle of perfume and some ratty old bracelet. 
And this other students start to laugh and make fun of him because of the gift that he gave. Well, the teacher takes notice and wants to kind of deflect the teasing. So she sprays the bottle of perfume on and puts the bracelet on and, and that was the end of it. So she, um, started to kind of feel bad that her disposition towards the student wasn't one that she wanted like she was teaching other students. So she decided to change her attitude and start to teach the student like she would other students. Years later, she gets a letter. And it's from this student who had come to school unbathed, ratty clothes, hair a mess. And it's been a number of years. And she gets this letter in the mail and she starts reading it. Dear teacher, I'd just like to thank you for your uh, time in uh, teaching me. And I think one of the things that, uh, before I get to the letter, one of the things that I guess the teacher eventually found out was that the perfume, and I think this is why she changed her tone, was the perfume, the, 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 the mother of the boy had died. And the perfume was the mother's perfume. Mm-hmm. And the bracelet also was the mother's. Mm-hmm. So the student gave the teacher the bottle of perfume because it reminded her, him of his mother mm-hmm. and the bracelet. So that's when she started to kind of change her tune about teaching the student, you know, realizing that, oh, I need to, you know, because he was going through the death of his mother. That's why he wasn't bathing. That's why he had all these issues, mm-hmm. why he was coming to school probably, you know, with ratty clothes because he lost his mother. So that's when she had changed her approach and started teaching him as if he was a valued student, like all students should be. So then years later, she gets this letter. And as she's reading the letter, it turns out that because she changed her attitude toward the student, others started to change their attitude toward the student. And so he went on and explained this letter that he went on to become a doctor. He went on to become somebody that had an impact in other people's lives. He got high marks, honors in college and in med school, and basically became a doctor and started saving other people's lives because of his being a doctor. And so the teacher's approach was that first, her understanding of the student was that he's just, you know, a bad student. When she started to understand what the student had gone through, especially the loss of the mother, it made sense why he gave the gift of the perfume bottle, made sense why he gave the ratty bracelet. Mm -hmm. And it changed her perspective because her understanding of the student. And because her understanding of the student changed, her actions toward that student changed. And he went on and he wrote in the letter, it's because of you, I decided to go on to college. It's because of you, I decided to become a doctor and now I'm impacting other people. Mm -hmm. So she made an impact on somebody's life because she began to understand what he was going through. And I think that's what we need to kind of do, even though it's hard because you have an understanding of what people are going through in this time, but it's still difficult because you're dealing with your set of, say, emotions, for the lack of a better word, or your Mm -hmm. set of uh, things that you're going through, plus you're dealing with other people. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're all going through right now. And some of us, it's harder for us to understand what other people are going through because we're so worried about what we're going through. I mean, there's a real fear. I don't have the fear of providing, having to provide diapers for for any kids. Mm -hmm. I don't have to really have the fear of providing for food and be there to prep or to do homework. Mm But others do. That's right. a real fear. Right. Someone asked me one time, what happens if you, uh, you know, because I had to move recently, don't find a place. I'm like, I've got a car. I just go find a parking lot and live in my car. I mean, you know, as, as simple as it is, the reality is I could do that because, mm-hmm. hey, others, that's not a valid, uh, a valid place to live because mm-hmm. you've got kids and you've got all these other things going on, loss of job. And so it's hard to, so even though we have to kind of understand 
And hopefully that understanding brings about patience. It's still difficult because we're still going through things and we're still trying to understand and we're still trying to deal with those understandings, but we still have our own stresses and our own conflicts in life going on. And that makes it difficult for us to then have to deal with others. And I think that that's, you know, it makes so much sense. The story, you know, I've, I heard that story too, and it's an amazing story um, of, of how that teacher was able to dig into you know, underneath the surface, what that child was going through. And I think that's the key is that if, if we can get to that place of understanding. So, um, because then like you said, we have our own emotions, we have our own feelings. So my, my reaction in times of stress is actually very, um, I, I kind of like go the opposite. I don't get involved in hysteria. I don't get involved in panic. Um, I'm the one that's like, okay, let's just calm down and let's just think about this. And I'm very like to the point where people like the other night I told you off the air, um, we were having, um, pizzas delivered to our house and, um, five different pizzas, five different orders, um, came to our house and then someone's ordering them all over the Valley. So anyway, it was a big drama and, um, there was some panic during parts of that because it's like okay who's you know is this person being malicious are they are they stalking are they you know whatever um it turned out just to be a prank but um there was some you know concern there and I was so calm and so matter of fact about the whole thing that the other people like you know were getting mad at me because I was not getting hysterical and they're like, don't you think this is serious? I'm like, okay, let's just think about this. Let's just calm down. So I have a tendency to pull back and to go the opposite direction. I don't, I don't get involved in like, Oh my gosh, you know, the, I, I just don't, I, I, I get quiet and I'm like, let's just think about this. Let's just be calm and rational. And, and I probably the one that if the plane went down, you would want me to be on there. Cause I'm like, all right guys, <laughs> calm we're down. going to die in peace. <laughs> we're crashing so in fine. peace people. Like I would be the one that went, and then I break down, you know, later. And so when, during this time, I think part of my struggle with patients is that there are other people around me reacting hysterical or reacting in a way that's like, well, you don't understand, like this could happen and that could happen. And I'm like, okay, just calm down. Just like, I don't have a, so I'm trying to manage other people's feelings so that I can be calm and relaxed. And that's probably part of it too, is that I'm probably trying to be controlling and not thinking about, well, there, it is a very stressful situation and it does cause hysteria and it's not because they're handling it wrong. It's just, that is just the way that they're reacting. And I have to have empathy for their fear, um, their needs and their, their emotions are legitimate. And so when I want to squash those, then, um, I am basically saying that your reaction is not valid. You're not doing it right. And that's not okay. I mean, that's controlling on my part, but I think that's probably where some of my impatience is coming from. It's like, oh, okay, here we go again. I got to talk this person off the ledge. I got to talk. And I'm trying to talk myself off the ledge. Like I'm trying to take care of myself during all of these different things, you know, scenarios that we've got, that I have got going on in my life. And so then when people are reacting in a way that's like, I have to go and like, you know, help calm them down or then I get, I start to get very impatient and it's like, well, I don't say this in my head, but I guess my reaction, you could draw this conclusion is like, well, why can't you just calm down like I am? Like, why can't you just handle it the way I do? Is basically probably um, what I'm saying. And that's, which is wrong, right? So um, we have to be patient in each other's journey and we have to be 
you know, have empathy for what people are going through because the reaction is coming from somewhere. It's coming from anger is not just anger. There's something underneath that causes that reaction of anger. So looking at people as people with valid needs and concerns goes a long way in having empathy. And then that's, you know, you know, where the patience comes from, but it's, you know, it's really hard. Depeche Mode said it best. People are people, so why should it be? People you and I are get people, along so awfully. So why should it be? <laughs> what? So moving forward, okay, because I would imagine that the environment that you're in, the stressful anxiety situation that we're all experiencing is going to continue. So moving forward, how are you going to be able to handle these situations? I reminded myself this morning, I was thinking about this, and I have to remind myself that, for example, if if you are the one you know, reacting hysterical and, or crossing boundary lines or whatever. Um, and if I say to myself, okay, this person isn't safe or this, I can't, um, I need to remove myself from a situation because it's, it's not, you know, healthy, you know, whatever, or any type of emotional boundary. Like I'm not going to get involved in this conversation. I'm not going to get into this argument, not going to go down this road of lame blaming and labeling. I'm not going to do it. So we set a boundary line, but the problem is, is that the person that we're setting the boundary line against doesn't, they're not going to follow it. They're not, you're not coming to an agreement. It's like, oh, here's a boundary line. And everyone's like, oh, yay, you know, kumbaya doesn't work that way. I'm the one setting the boundary. So you're still going to come up and do what you're doing. And it's up to me to be strong and say no. And I have to keep reminding you that is really scary. It's really scary to stand up to someone who is argumentative or loud or, you know, labeling and, and condescending. It's, it's very scary. Whatever situation that you're in, even if it's a spending problem that you have to set a boundary against, you know, even yourself or, or immediate gratification, it feels scary to set that boundary line because you feel like you're not going to get your needs met or you're not going to get what you want. And so every time that boundary line is breached, I have to practice. And, and it takes a long time. So let's say, let's pretend that you're a jerk. And let's say you come up to the boundary line and I have to say, no, I, I can't be friends with you anymore. Well, then you might come and I might think, okay, good over, right? You might come back a week later. And then I'm like, oh, I thought we were done with this. No, it's another chance for me to practice. I'm sorry. I can't be friends with you right now. You might wait two months. I might think it's done. Okay, good. Now we're done. Right. And then you come back two months later. I have to practice again. And I'm still not strong enough, but I, but I have to, I'm sorry, I can't be friends right now. Oh, come on. It's just, you know, one beer. It's not gonna, I don't want to go out by myself. And then you start doing your whole thing and I'm, and I'm feeling weak and I'm like, I might give in, I might not, or I might say, you know, we might get into an argument, but maybe I finally, you know, push you off. It's not going to, I'm not going to be strong enough to, to hold that boundary line until 10 or 15 or 20 things down the road. And that might take two years. That's why we say like, gosh, I thought I was done with this already. And then here it comes again, right? Because a boundary, an emotional boundary can happen in any physical situation. It's not just against a person. It could be against ourselves, like an addiction or a habit or something, you know, that we want to start or stop doing it, you know, start exercising or, you know, which is equally scary. It's like, uh, we have a million excuses why we don't want to go out the door, right? So it takes, we have to wait for the event to come to us so that we can practice setting that boundary. Sometimes it takes a couple of years for an event to come around three or four times so that we can practice. And it's just, we have to be patient with ourselves in that process 
Like, okay, I failed. I, I gave in and I went out with you. Okay. And then the next time now I'm strong enough and I'm not going to go out, but it takes a long time. So I have to, rem- I have to remind myself that, that in order for me to be patient, an event has to come to give me the choice of whether or not to be patient. I can't just say I'm patient. I have to wait for the event to come. And then I have to ask myself, am I going to be patient or am I not? And that means that the event has to keep coming and keep coming and keep coming so that I can keep practicing. So um, every time, you know, I'm dealing with a situation, I have to remind myself, okay, here's another opportunity for me to practice. Here's another opportunity. I have to remind myself, okay, have empathy. What's going on under the surface? Why are they acting this way? And it's a practice and it takes, it takes a while to do that. But if it's, it's putting the other person ahead of me, putting their needs and feelings legitimate as mine, or maybe even putting them above mine if I have to, and just remembering that we're on an equal playing field and they're dealing with stuff too, maybe in a different way, but it's all coming from the same. Am I going to be okay? Is the situation going to be okay? Are we going to lose all of our money? Are we going to be able to feed, you know, the family, all these questions that everybody has right now. And so it's just, it takes character strength happens in an opposite situation. And those opposite situations have to keep coming in order for us to practice and get stronger. So we can't just look at a single event and say, oh my gosh, this is just so frustrating. It's like, okay, no, this is part of the practice of doing this. And sometimes it takes weeks, months, or even years to build that strength in that one particular area. So these are like the lectures that go on in my head. <laughs> you got a busy head. I'm exhausted. I do have Can't a imagine busy being head. inside your brain. Right? It's exhausting. One of the things that people are talking about right now, what we're going through is it going to change how we do life. Mm-hmm. One of the things I think of coming out of the education field is education. Everything is online now. And for a student moving forward to have to go to class, go to campus to sit in a classroom to listen to a lecture for 50 minutes just seems asinine. Why can't that just be online moving forward? I know one student who takes all his classes online. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we're, we're, we're starting to see maybe a change. Hygiene habits. Maybe people are washing their hands more. Maybe we're taking more precaution. I went to a gas station one time and filled up. And as soon as I left, the attendant came over and was wiping down the, the gas pumps. Mm-hmm. Uh, the lady inside, when I went to use my pin and press the buttons, I was kind of looking around for something to maybe like a tissue or something. And she's like, oh, it's okay. I wipe it down after everybody uses it. Okay, we're excessive right now mm-hmm. because of the fear. But people are starting to wonder if habits and lifestyles and things are going to change because of this. Okay, that involves patience Mm -hmm. and understanding. Sure, we might have to have the patience and understanding in the immediate because of the extreme situation that we're in. But is it going to change? And are we going to go back to being impatient and have no understanding once we're back to normal? One of the lessons I learned early on, and I really don't know why or how I learned it, but was to put myself in someone else's shoes. I I, I try to do it and it doesn't always work. I'm not perfect. So don't get me wrong. One of my pet peeves is driving on the freeway, you know, slow people in the fast lane, get out of my way. Haven't had that problem recently. It's been awesome because nobody's <laughs> on the freeways. But then sometimes I, I catch myself, okay, what if this person 
first of all, shouldn't be in the fast lane, but whatever. <laughs> what if this person spent four or five years saving up for a car and now they purchased this new car and now they're driving the car and they want to be careful and they want to enjoy it and they want to have fun in their car, but they're a little, um, maybe anxious driving it because, you know, the first time you drive a car off the lot, it's like, oh, you're concerned you're going to turn the corner and bang. You know, now you got a problem. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe that's a brand new car they spent years saving for and now they're in their car. Or maybe somebody bought something, okay, uh, clothes or whatever. I hear now that, you know, shirts, tops, blouses are being sold six to one to pants because everybody's online and all we do is dress from the waist <laughs> up now and everybody's like in their shorts or pajama bottoms because we're doing online conference calls. Uh, so, you know, again, when it comes to certain things, okay, having the understanding of being in someone else's shoes and trying to understand where they're coming from. Now, we don't always do that and we can't always do that. But one of the lessons I learned early on was to try to do that. Mm-hmm. What's this person? And it's, and it's helped me sometimes to stop and check my attitude towards somebody else because right. I don't know what they're going through. Right. I remember a little girl one time, and maybe this was the lesson because it keeps popping in my head. I was probably in junior high. I was with my father, and we were out working probably. And we stopped by a, a, a liquor store, a local liquor store. And there was this little gal, and she had this big pop ice cream popsicle. And she was kind of flaunting it to me. I I don't know why. And, but she was really enjoying it. And so I just, you know, had a a brief exchange with her if she was enjoying it. And I think my father mentioned the time, you know, at the time, maybe it was something that they could only get every once in a while. And that's why she was kind of flaunting it and kind of enjoying Mm -hmm. it. Cause you know, she was probably three or four years old, right? you know, and maybe she just enjoyed it. And so that's the thing. You don't know what people are going through and you don't know what they've come through. Just like the student who lost the mother, and that's why he had the ratty clothes and the smelly, you know, unbathed uh, persona mm-hmm. and given the gifts that he did, because maybe that gift was not valuable to anybody else, but to him, it was priceless. Mm-hmm. And so it's hard for us to go through life constantly thinking about the other person. The other thing about that story, which I don't understand, is why the teacher didn't invest in that kid to begin with, because as a teacher, you should never teach, treat students differently based on who they are. That's a whole nother story. No, but let's Everybody just be that walks into that, the classroom yeah. should be treated the same. And that's always been my approach in all honesty. They should, but... It- it's just we don't treat it on the street. I mean, we we right. judge everybody we based do, but, on how people look. But I think I've learned to judge people less because of that. I still do, but I think I've learned because of these lessons early mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. Um, and and especially when I was in the classroom teaching, I took every student as an individual person. Right. Sure, motivations and the way people are go getters in the classroom tend to get your attention more because they're the go getters. They're the ones that want to learn. Um, the, the respectable people, you wear a suit and tie. One time somebody did, did a, uh, a conference on business and the guy that was supposed to speak on appearance showed up to the conference on Monday, dressed shabby, unshaven, <laughs> uncombed hair. And then everyone was like, who is this guy? And they kind of, you know, had a negative, uh, per, uh, perspective of the guy. Right, right. And then on Friday, when it's his turn to speak, he's in a suit and tie shaved hair is cut perfect and now it's like oh he's now somebody that we respect because he's dressed a certain way okay so things like that do matter however the person didn't change right he just appeared differently Mm -hmm. and so that's the thing that we have to check ourselves with we might be in a time now where we're understanding and patience is important because Mm -hmm. of the extreme circumstances we're in but then when we get back to normal, it's like the, please, God, get me out of this thing. And I promise I'll never, ever, ever do it again. We get out of it. And then we get right back in that, please, God, get me out of this thing. I'll promise never to do it again. Right. And the cycle continues because we don't learn. And that cycle, I think, has been going on since the beginning of, of time. 
that that we were like, oh yeah, yeah, I learned my lesson, and then the sun comes out, the summer comes, and we're you know everything is peaceful for a while, and we forget, we forget those just like like during the the two you know world wars that we had, you know we're far away now from from any type of lessons. You know, we don't, we didn't have, we don't have to ration food, you know, the way that they did then. We don't have to ration supplies or go through all of the hardships that they went through during that time. So we forget. So we we spend, you know, recklessly, we eat recklessly, we supersize everything. We have an abundance of, you know, everything because we don't come from that time of like, this could all, you know, go away. So now we're kind of getting that lesson in a different, it's not a war, but it's a, you know, a virus making everybody sick, but we're still having to change. We're still having to check our lifestyle, change the way that we do life and ask is the way that we were doing life. Like, is that okay? And I think, I I hope we've talked in other, in other podcasts about taking this time to, to assess, you know, our lives and what's important and, you know, getting back to, um, the, our passions and, and checking our core values and, you know, and all of that. But I do think that we easily forget. It's easy to have discipline when, when you are forced to, but it's the people who have really strong character that will have discipline when they don't have to, because they, because it's just the right thing to do. We just, it's hard to do that. I was watching the movie, the last castle with Robert Redford. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's basically, Uh, they're all soldiers that have been convicted of a crime and they go to a military prison. And then, of course, it goes from there. But one of the things I took from that was that there was Robert Redford gets up there and he's trying to inspire because the prison uh, ward and his people, you know, treat them bad. Mm -hmm. One of those things, one Mm -hmm. of those uh, Shawshank Redemption type things where the guards treat them bad. So they want to uprise. Well, one of the speeches in there was that, you know, you can take us take us out of the uniform but you can't take the soldier out of us. Mm-hmm. And that kind of unifies them. And that's what it is. You can put people in different situations. It's kind of like what? You can take the girl out of the country, but you can't take the country out of the girl. You can put us in different situations, but who we are mm-hmm. is who we're going to be in those situations. Wherever you go, there you are. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so if you're a person right now and you're at home and you're just kind of self-reflecting, like when I, please God, get us out of here because I promise never to do it again, or are you going to be the person to... <laughs> do it again? Mm -hmm. Or are you going to be the person that actually wants to try to make a change? And that was the lesson that I learned at a young age was the understanding, put myself in someone else's shoes. Yeah, I don't always do that. And I might treat people bad sometimes, hopefully not all the time or often, hopefully it's rare, but you know, maybe times I might not treat somebody right. But there is that hesitant point in certain interactions where I'm like, okay, this person might have gone through X, Y, Z, therefore I'm just going to back off or mm-hmm. I'm going to change my approach. Mm-hmm. Um, so are we changing? Are we going to look at our patients? Are we going to look at our understanding? Am I going to, when the traffic gets back on the freeway, am I going to be impatient again? Mm-hmm. Or am I going to learn to be like, hey, chill out, dude, because you know that's the other thing too. We get people haven't been driving for weeks. There's people in my neighborhood, their car has been parked there for like two weeks. Mm-hmm. Okay, you get back on the freeway after three, four weeks of not being on the freeway, People are going to probably be a little like. There's going to be a lot of accidents. Yeah, yeah because I mean, <laughs> when when daylight savings switches from daylight savings time to standard time, and people on one day went home from work when the sun was out, and the Monday they go home from work and there's no sun, people can't drive. Or you throw right. in the rain in Southern right. California, people can't drive. <laughs> so imagine what it's going to be like. So I have to have the understanding. Okay, people have not driven mm-hmm. on the freeway or whatever 
in a few weeks, maybe they're yeah. a little like, whoa, I need to get my, you know, get back on this bike. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I think there's something else along those lines that I want, that I want to point out. Um, when, when we say, when we pray that prayer, God, please get me out of this and I'll never do that again, or I'll go to church every Sunday or whatever. Um, what we're doing in that instance is not taking responsibility for what got us there in the first place. We're expecting somebody else to fix it for us. And so in that situation, of course, it's going to go right back to normal. And of course, we're going to be right back in the exact situation that we were there, that got us there in the first place. And so for real change to happen, we have to say to a lot of time, because I think that we don't realize that more often than not, the place that we are is because of self-imposed chaos. Now, I know things happen because other people, you know, make choices and we, you know, collateral damage, we get caught up in other people's choices. But there are times when we ourselves make choices that we don't even realize. So, for example, to go back to the the bitterness and the forgiveness, when you have that lens on and then everywhere you go, you're, you're dealing with issues through those lenses, you don't realize that you're causing your own problems. You are causing your own self-imposed chaos. And so when we say, you know, oh dear God, get me out of this. Well, sometimes the response from God is like, okay, you need to go talk to this person and set a boundary. That's how he's going to get you out of it. And we don't want to take responsibility for that. We don't want to do the, the hard work that we have to do in order to learn patience or, or to set boundaries or to stop doing the behavior that's bringing all this chaos in our lives. And we don't, we don't like to think that it's our that we're doing it to ourselves. So anytime that we start off, you know, with that kind of a prayer, we're already sunk because we're, we're expecting somebody else, another entity to fix what we created. And we don't want, and we can fix it. We can go back and say, okay, I screwed up. Um, I didn't make the right decision. I have to reverse. It's going to be embarrassing. I got to reverse my opinion. I got to, I got to do something different. We don't want to do that right? And so that's why things don't change. If, if, if people, the way that they were before this coronavirus, if, if they're not taking stock right now and saying, okay, what is going on in my life? I don't have any money. Okay. Is it because the coronavirus I can't work or is it because I've been having horrible spending habits and I haven't been saving any money for a rainy day and I don't have good, um, I have that immediate gratification that I have to have it is that why I'm in the financial position or is it truly, you know, and is that why I'm living paycheck to paycheck? Now, some people like there, there's a million reasons. I'm not saying that, that everything is our fault, but I'm saying sometimes it is our fault. Sometimes we can look at our own situation and say, what am I doing to create this chaos? What am I doing to make it worse? And then how am I blaming other people and not realizing that I'm the one that's doing it? Like we, we just have to, you don't want to, you know, shoot on ourselves and we don't want to, you know, start shaming ourselves, but there is a part that we do have to, if we want to grow and if we want to be better, then we have to do that. We have to look at our part in the situation. What am I doing to contribute to the situation to make it worse? And I think, I think in society today, because you mentioned instant gratification, patience and instant gratification do not go hand in hand. And so you have <laughs> to, opposites. you have to realize <laughs> that patience is going to be a gratification that pays off down the road, whether mm-hmm. it's 30 minutes standing in line at a local grocery store or mm-hmm. a few years down the road, whatever mm-hmm. it is. And so that's the thing to keep in mind is patience and instant gratification don't go hand in hand. So when you're impatient because of a certain reason, because you want to get out of the, the store and get home sooner. 
or because the car in front of you is going slower and I want to get to my destination, probably literally three minutes quicker than I normally would if I would just, you know, been patient. And so that's the thing to keep in mind is that we have to have or keep in mind where the patience comes from or what patience actually is. And that's delayed gratification, if you really want to put it in terms mm-hmm. for today. It's I'm going to wait and get the payoff mm-hmm. later. And it's also not putting your needs in someone else's hands to that's also you know we're not patient with people because we're giving what we need to other people to fulfill and they're not doing it and so now we're agitated and frustrated so we have to be um fulfilled within ourselves so that when someone else is acting like a crazy person we don't get triggered we don't get sucked into it we're not like oh my gosh i'm not going to be okay if you don't calm down because we're we're good within ourselves and we're not expecting we're not giving our power to other people and say you know, take care of me, behave so that I'm okay. We have to do that for ourselves. And so I think that's also where the lack of patience comes in is that we're giving away to other people to handle what we should be handling ourselves. So you feel better about yourself after this conversation? (laughs) I am going to go back and listen to this about 10 times and (laughs) and ask myself, am I giving away my power? Am I trying to be controlling? Am I codependent? Like, yeah. So hopefully in the end, we all learn to be a little bit more patient, not only now, but as we move forward in life and maybe understand each other a little bit better because then maybe we'll change the way we act towards others and interact with others as we move forward um, from today. Uh, (laughs) Two Steps Ahead podcast, highlighting the stuff we've stepped in so you don't have to. Check us out on Instagram at Two Steps Ahead podcast. My Instagram is at Edem Rocks, E-I-D-E-M-R-O-C-K-S. Your Instagram is? I am at Tara Hoke Shiro, T-A-R-A-H-O-K-E-S-C-H-I-R-O. We're on all the major platforms. You can see or watch shows on IGTV, also on YouTube. SoundCloud, link is in the bios of our Instagram, or you can just search Two Steps Ahead Podcast. We're on all the major platforms, but the simplest way, <laughs> simplest way to He's find so us. He's so excited about this. Yes. Hey, Suri. <laughs> Play Two Steps Ahead podcast. Hey, Google, play Two Steps Ahead podcast, and it pops up on your phone. Or Alexa. Or Alexa, and it comes up on Alexa. So, hey, Siri, hey, Google, hey, Alexa, play Two Steps Ahead podcast, and our show will pop up. Thanks for listening. Do tell a friend. Let yourself be great. Take your passion. Make it happen. Until next time, you guys have a great one. Stay on your side of crazy, (laughs) and we look forward to our next conversation. Thanks, guys. See you next time.